listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Fret Files Podcast. My name is Eric Daw, your personal guitar scientist with 25 years of experience building and repairing guitars. Sitting beside me is my lovely co-host, Melissa. Greetings. I will read the listener-submitted questions, and Eric will try to answer them the best he can, drawing on his experience as a professional luthier. Oh, yeah. yeah we've got a lot of good questions. Um, we've got a lot of calls, too. Cool. Yeah, calls about... Uh, I don't even know, because I didn't listen to them. It's going to be, they're going to be new to me, but we have a lot of good questions, questions about Gibson Tunematics, mm-hmm. questions about uh, dad blues and what exactly that means. You mean all blues? Hey! Ah, sick burn! Questions about spraying lacquer, questions about uh, nut blanks. We'll get into all of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of course, the big news around well, around the world, really, everybody's talking about this, and it's been all over the news, all over the world, all over the uh, headlines everywhere, and that is that this is our 100th episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> episode 100. I mean, capturing everyone's... Thank you. Please. It's fi- quite fine. Thank you. Uh, anyhow, this is our uh, 100th episode. What can I say? It's... It's been fun, and uh, let's keep it going. We'll have another hundred for you. People have been very nice, um, randomly donating money to our. Uh, you can mm-hmm. donate on our Fret Files website there, just to help with to, you know help with costs yep. of of running a podcast and you know hosting and all those kinds of things. So people have been very nice, sending me messages saying. Congratulations on 100 episodes. So there you go. It's been great. And we wanted to do something special, and we're not. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's uh, We wanted to kind of do something special, and I was thinking about what to do. I was going to do a cool interview or something, but I decided that the meat and potatoes of this f- podcast is the question and answer stuff, and we have a lot of questions to do. So I just want to do a, a really good Q&A episode and... As a special treat, there are going to be no commercials in this episode. This is a commercial-free episode, just content, and uh, there you go. How do you like that? I love it. What have you been working on lately in in your leather workshop? Uh, A few custom straps. I got another one I'm sketching. I've got one coming up. I just sent one out. 
and uh, I stopped I stopped taking custom orders hmm. uh, about a week ago because my anxiety has reached a critical a, level. A new level of and anxiety. I decided it's not <laughs> I think that's, worth it. I think that's everybody yeah. around the world. Right. We're not here to talk about the news and current events. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, I mean, we don't want to talk about is, Brexit this, right now. This is right. <laughs> This is this is not a podcast about current this, events. This is your vacation. This is from... your escape from all that garbage. Mm-hmm. I've been working on uh, a, a few refinishes. Uh, there's a uh, somebody sent me like a fellow I've known for years sent me a uh, a '70s Fender Strat. He wanted it refinished in Olympic white. Mm-hmm. So I'm just putting the finishing touches on that, and I am so happy with the way it turned out. Those old white finishes age uniquely you know the the um the clear ages yellow over the white and then the and then the clear coat gets thinned down in areas uh-huh. and it really has a unique look you almost get kind of a just a very subtle gradient from yellowish to more whitish that it's it's hard to to nail that down but I'm really happy with the way that turned out. Cool. It looks It looks so nice. It's, I'm just really happy with the way it turned out. Of course, I'm making a few custom guitars that should be done here within a, a week or two. And uh, I appreciate everybody's patience. Mm-hmm. If you've sent me repairs or if, you're, if you've ordered parts or guitars from me, just know that I'm, uh, I'm actually overwhelmed enough that I'm... I, I'm not taking any more work. So, like, if you were to contact me right now for a repair, I don't care what it is. I'm just not going to take it. So, I'm going to get caught up, guys. Yep. I'm going to get caught up and get everybody's guitars back to them and get all the custom guitars I need to make made. And then uh, maybe, uh, you know, if you have a repair you need to talk to me about, maybe wait a month. Huh? Mm-hmm. Anyhow, we have, uh, you know, oh, we have... I said we weren't going to do current events, but do we have a, a this story? story is too big to okay. ignore. All right, go ahead. It's gone viral. I can't read it from here. <laughs> you read it. Guitar news. Uh, this is from guitar.com. Gibson has been sued. What a what a turn of events, Whoa. right? That's that's opposite. Gibson has been sued by Heritage. Mm-hmm. Over fresh trademark threats. Do you know who Heritage Guitars is? Nope. Well, they're a Kalas- Kalamazoo, Michigan company, right? Uh-huh. And they took over. Basically, they took over Gibson's old, oh, the old factory okay. when they left Kalamazoo. Okay. I don't know the full story of it. Maybe we'll maybe we'll hear a little bit about it here in this story. The Kalamazoo-based company claims that Gibson demanded that Heritage essentially cease cease its business. My goodness. Wow. Despite a secret 29-year-old legal settlement between the two brands. Well, Heritage Guitars launched this legal action against Gibson Brands, becoming the latest U.S. guitar company to reveal that they have been threatened with legal action over alleged trademark infringement since Gibson came under new ownership in 2018. Hmm. Yeah, Gibson went through a little bankruptcy there. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And changed hands. Yeah. Something happened. Uh, anyhow, Heritage, they operate out of uh, Gibson's original factory, right? 
mm-hmm. at 225 Parsons Street, famous address in uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan. And it was founded by former, basically former Gibson employees in 1985. They claim that shortly after making guitars, shortly after starting, the two companies clashed in both federal and trademark court over the look of its since over the look of its instruments, but in 1991, that was all resolved with a confidential agreement, right? Mm-hmm. Until now, for the past 29 years, Heritage and Gibson went their separate ways, each selling its own well-known guitars into the market with no problems or issues. However, when Gibson was sold, following its bankruptcy in 2018, Heritage's suit claims that this long peace between the two was broken. Uh, Heritage says Gibson's attitude changed following the arrival of new ownership. And uh, in February 2019, Gibson wrote to Heritage and essentially claimed that Heritage had been violating the settlement agreement for decades. Gibson demanded that Heritage essentially cease its business is the only solution that Gibson would accept. Whoa. My goodness. Jeez, Gibson, you need to... That's pretty harsh. I don't know. I, it's down. not... Well, it's... This is uh, only the... Uh, this is only the latest in uh, a whole bunch of legal things going on between Gibson and other companies. Mm-hmm. Um, Dean, for example. Dean Guitars. Uh, there's been a lot going on there. Uh, I think we covered that at the time. Anyhow, Gibson has issued a formal response. Oh, and what's their formal In the meantime, response? Uh, it's long. I'll read parts of it. Okay. They say, here, here, it starts this way. Gibson is disappointed <laughs> that Heritage and its owners felt it necessary to file a complaint against Gibson. <laughs> so they're speaking about themselves in the third person. Look, Gibson doesn't... Gibson just Gib- shows the love. So, yeah. I I continue. Gibson is not suing Heritage Guitar, which is co-owned by Band Lab, a Singapore-based company who owns Guitar.com and Guitar Magazine, and is also the current distributor for Gibson Brands in Southeast Asia. For the past 126 years, Gibson has played a leading role in designing... Okay, they go on and on about how awesome they are and how, how, uh, how Heritage is not... Anyhow, the meat of their statement, I'll pick back up here a few paragraphs later. Recently, Heritage launched some new guitars that clearly did not respect nor adhere to the original contract. In fact, several customers had inquired if they were actually Gibson guitars. Heritage guitars also took the liberty of using language on their website that was misleading and misrepresenting, which added to the confusion. Well... I guess Gibson and Heritage are going to fight while the world burns. That's always fun. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of calls. Shall we take some calls? Yeah, let's do it. Okie dokie. Hey, Eric. This is uh, Matt in New York. Love the show. Uh, so I've heard that after a guitar setup, techs often like to wait a couple days and see how things kind of take, so to speak, or, or kind of settle out. And then maybe some, make some adjustments a couple of days later. Um, I recently had, uh, a setup from a pretty well regarded tech here who turned it around in about an hour. He did say that I could come back in a few days if 
further adjustment is needed. And, uh, you know, I'm just not sure what the likelihood is that, that that'll happen. So just, you know, from your experience, just curious how often that's the case. Uh, thanks again. Bye. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Um, so it, it, it absolutely can happen. You know, it depends on the guitar and often it's a guitar that really needed a lot of adjusting. So a guitar that had a severe, um, bend in the neck that, that required a, a pretty drastic adjustment to the truss rod. That is the kind of thing that can really settle. Um, some guitars are just solid and you, you set them up and they just stay that way really nicely. Other guitars, you adjust them and they tend to settle. So, uh, I do the same thing that, you know, what your tech told you. I, I tell people, and in fact, I go, I go a lot further than a couple of days. I tell people, uh, that I'll do free adjustments, free follow-up adjustments for 90 days when I do a setup or, or, you know, any kind of work like that on a guitar. Cool. And, um, I, I, th- I think that that's pretty standard, you know, uh, well, not my, not the 90 days, but, uh, I think that's a pretty standard thing for luthiers or guitar techs to tell their customers, you know, Hey, I've done quite a few adjustments on this guitar. If it settles, give me a call, you know, I'll follow up with it, which is a smart thing to do because the last thing that, you know, the last thing that us guitar technicians want is for you to take your guitar home and then three days later be unhappy with it. And then you think, oh, darn, that guy charged me all that money and now my guitar's buzzing or something. So um, so it's really, you know, smart for, for a luthier to tell a customer that, uh, really. But um, the likelihood of your guitar needing a follow-up adjustment is actually pretty low unless it needed, you know, severe adjustments, serious adjustments. How's that? That's a good answer. Okie dokie. And uh, here we are with the next call. This is Cam uh, calling to congratulate you on your 100th show. I just listened to show 99, so made me aware that you are about to hit the century mark. Way to go, buddy. Later. Thank you. Do you know who Cam is? Uh, No. Well, I do. I don't really. I don't know who he really is, but... Oh, Eric, I forgot to say, um, my favorite part of episode 99 of mm-hmm. the Fret Files mm-hmm. was probably when you're playing out the scenario of how to advise the guitar owner that, I'm sorry, sir, but, you know, your fretboard's not real wood. And then Melissa said, and you suck. <laughs> <laughs> you know what this means, don't you? Don't you? What this means is... A fake wood fretboard is the George Norrie of fretboard. <laughs> yes. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Uh, Cam, I've never heard his voice, I don't think. That's great. It's great to hear from you. I, you know, I've often wondered if Cam still listens. Cam uh, is a friend of mine from an old message board on the Internet that I won't even mention. It goes back to... You know, old listeners will know. Well, I guess so. Old listeners may have heard me talk about Bell Gab or Art Bell a long time ago. Uh, and Cam is a is a member of a once whatever. How 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 can I say this? Yeah, I know Cam was, through the internet. It okay? was a forum about a 
talk show from the 90s. That no longer existed. That is correct. It was a forum about a show that didn't even... And they had a podcast, and it was a podcast about a forum about a show from the 90s that no longer existed. What can I say? I am a nerd. However, Cam was one of my favorite users of that forum, and now he's... What was Cam's handle? I'm sure I've I've heard of it. Camazot's Automat. Yep. I know Camazots. Thanks, Cam. <laughs> hey, Eric and Melissa. It's Richard from Austin, Texas. I just wanted to congratulate you guys on 100 episodes. That's quite Thank an you. accomplishment. Thank uh, you. I know it's probably not easy to juggle with uh, work and family and That's all. That's a piece of cake. It's certainly a, a show that I, I look forward to twice a month, and I'm sure many, many others feel the same way. So hope you have plans on keeping it going well into the future. Uh, from a question standpoint, I'm curious, given all the things that Eric has fixed on guitars, if there are any specific issues that are like um, just kind of eliminate a guitar for him to personally own, is there anything that, sure, it's fixable, but it's really never going to be the same? I, I don't know, like twisted necks, back bows, truss rod stretch cracks. What's What's on your kryptonite list when it comes to issues on a guitar you'd personally own. Hmm. You know, what comes to mind is a broken headstock. To me, it's hard to come back from that. Like every time I pick that guitar up, I, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to think about how it, the headstock came off once and was glued back on. <laughs> uh, bowed necks. My God, that doesn't stop me at all. Are, are you kidding me? I fixed that. For a living, this is what I do. Uh, fret problems, bowed necks, you know, truss rod issues. Come on, man. No big deal. Um, but there's things that hurt the value of a guitar. And the reason they hurt the value of a guitar is it changes how you feel about the guitar. You know, if a guitar has a really warped neck and I straighten it, I don't pick it up and think, oh, this guitar once had a warped neck. Right? Right. It's fine. And once it's straight... Or, you know, if if the frets have been fixed or, you know. But cracks in acoustics bother me, I have to say. Like a big crack across the top of an acoustic is a, is a big bummer. Uh, and uh, broken headstocks. Now, that being said, I think both of my acoustic guitars that I play all the time have cracks in the top. But one of them's almost a hundred years old. I think it's from the thirties and the other one is from the fifties and they have such thin finishes and such lacquer checking that you don't even really notice the crack. Mm-hmm. It's when you get a crack on like a 2017 Taylor that, right. That's, it just stands out. and It's a bummer. It's a, it's hard to, it's hard to make those disappear. Eric has his brands and it kind of doesn't matter. I mean, unless it's really like, unless the cu- the top is like caving in. And even then, sometimes. I'll buy almost any Harmony. Any Dan Electro. That I see, you know. I mean, if it's, if it's reasonable. I'm not going to order them online. But, right. You know, if I see one at a yard sale or a thrift store or a pawn shop or cheap at a guitar, you know, a retail guitar store, I'll buy them. Mm-hmm. But it's got to be a good deal. It's got to be a good deal. But I, you know, of course I love Fenders, right? Mm-hmm. I don't even think I own any. 
Do I even own a Fender? I don't think you own a Fender. Oh, wait, I do. I own... Oh, yeah. I own a special Fender that I don't even talk about. <laughs> you didn't You didn't hear that from me. That wasn't <laughs> part of the show. That was an extra thing. We're going we're gonna to edit all that out. Uh, but um, I own three Dan Electros. I own... Um, you own like a dozen Harmonies. I do not. You do. No, Think what about, are you talking about? You have like oh, six. Those, those oh. Harmonies. <laughs> I do. Well, those are in the vault, waiting to be fixed. Those aren't hanging on the wall. Right, so I'm they just don't count. Of, well, I'm just thinking about the guitars hanging on the wall. Yeah, I do. I have like four Harmony Sovereigns that need neck resets that I eventually will get to and then either keep them or put them on reverb. I'll keep like one of them, you know, and put three on reverb mm-hmm. to sell. What was the question? Are we talking about something? <laughs> I think you answered it. Thanks, I'm Rich. I'm so glad because it was exhausting. <laughs> uh, anyhow, this is the uh, the next caller. Hi, Eric. This is Matt in New York. Um, thanks for putting it on the podcast. Big fan of all you do. Thank you. Uh, I took a new to me, but um, 90, or a 95 Mexican telly that I bought on Craigslist. I don't think it had been played in a while uh, to a repair manager uh, to get it set up. And um, he did it in a couple of hours and then told me I might come back in a couple of days because uh, after a long time, these kind of things can um, sort of not take the first time or, or kind of move or take some time to settle in. So sure enough, I was back there after about a week. Um, you know, the guitar was in much better shape than it had been initially, but just seems kind of not quite as nicely dialed in as it had been right when I left the, the shop. Is this a so different guy? I was just guy? wondering. Um, no, it's the same know, guy. With that? I think it's a recall. Kind of how often that happens, if that's a, a given every time you set up a guitar, you know, if it's not been quite as long since the last time you had it adjusted, is it more likely to be stable and just kind of work out the first time? And, hmm. uh, yeah, just any thoughts on the general topic? Oh, dear. <laughs> I somehow... I somehow uh, cut the end of that call off. Anyhow, that's all, that's all right. Yeah. That was Matt calling again. I think that um, I probably should have only played one of those yeah. calls, but so that's okay, Matt. If you, guys, if you call and don't like the way you sounded and call again, send Eric an email. I really don't screen these, and that's, <laughs> that's your proof right there. I, I really don't have time. You know, I, I felt bad. A guy um, that uh, I've known for several years and who, a guy who, has bought things from me in the past, uh, sent me a question for this month that I, and I emailed him back. I said, I'm really sorry, man. I'm not going to use this question for the podcast because I just don't have time. He sent me a 30 minute long video of somebody repairing something uh-huh. and then said, Hey, here's an interesting video. How would you do this differently? Sorry. And I just, you know, uh, I, uh, anyhow, that my point is, guys, that I don't have time to screen these calls, and I don't have time to, uh, you know, watch a, a long repair video if you send it to me. Anyway, hey, next. Eric and Melissa, uh, my name is Alex. I'm a longtime listener um, down in LA right now. I was just calling a million questions for you guys, but the primary one I've been thinking about recently um, has to do with neck relief and with S curves forming in the neck. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a bunch of different guitars. Some of them are newer, some of them are older. 
Um, down here, the humidity has been all over the place this year and the weather's been all over the place. So I find that I've been adjusting necks pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just wondering if there's any way to prevent, uh, kind of an S curve from forming in the neck. Um, and similarly, if, uh, if you adjust the neck, how long should you wait before you adjust it again? Like if you loosen a rod, and it gets to a point where there's a little bit too much relief. How long should you wait until you tighten it a little bit to kind of find that nice middle ground? So anyway, love the podcast. Um, yeah, thanks so much. Bye. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Okay, S-curves in the neck. It's something that can develop. I, I, I think what he's talking about here is, you know, sometimes you'll get like a – you try to set a neck as straight as possible, but then when you sight it, you'll still see – just a slight hump around like the third and fifth fret and then it'll then it'll taper off and and dip maybe a little bit around the 10th or 12th fret mm-hmm. and then come back up like a slight ski jump at the end of the neck so you've got an s shaped curve in the neck mm-hmm. it's something that happens uh it's it's not super common you know um, he's asked if there's any kind of way to prevent it. Well, you know, if it's a rosewood fingerboard, keep the fingerboard oiled. Um, as with any guitar, you know, keep it happy with with uh, regulated humidity and avoiding e- extremes of temperature. But as far as preventing that specific problem from developing, it's... It's not super common, so it's not something that I expect to, to happen on a guitar. It sucks when you see it, and, you know, I certainly do see it, but um, it's not something that I ever think about preventing because you never know when a piece of wood decides it's going to do that, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's something almost that we don't have a whole lot of control over. Even a guitar that's been perfectly cared for sometimes can develop this. So um, as far as preventing it, um, other other than just regular care and feeding of a normal guitar, not really. But um, it can be corrected, you know. Um, It takes more than just adjusting a truss rod. If it's very bad, if it needs to be corrected, it can be, you know, from, you know, by a professional luthier. So, Mm -hmm. Um, And he asks, how long should you wait? Uh between adjustments well just eyeball it when you pick it up if it needs an adjustment do it i have no problem adjusting the truss rod on a neck several times in a day you know adjust it and take a look at it in a few hours adjust it again if it needs to be i mean tiny adjustments here if we're if we're really trying to dial something in but um you know it it just depends on the guitar it just depends on the guitar. Sometimes, it, and it sounds like you've got a guitar like this, that sometimes you can just fiddle with it forever, and it's hard to find that sweet spot, you know? So, so I hope that helps. What are we doing here? Is that the last that's, of the calls? That, yes, that's it on the, uh, on the questions, on the calls. So let's go to emails, shall we? Okay. <laughs> We get stacks and stacks of letters. Hi, 
Eric and Melissa. In your recent podcast, you answered a question about a wiring route. Eric said he does this in part to reduce weight as much as possible. If this is the case, do you use a smuggler's route under the pickguard of your custom T-style guitars? In keeping with the vintage spec ethos, this is something Fender once used in an attempt to reduce weight in their Telecasters. Mm -hmm. Would you please elaborate on your thoughts around the smuggler's route for the weight reduction and overall effect on tone? Love your show and always enjoy when a new one shows up in my feed. My dogs, Root Beer and Bodie, also love your new shows as they get longer walks while I listen. <laughs> Root but, Beer's a good dog name. Yeah. By the way, I'm a huge so fan. Bodie. I'm not picking on Bodie here. Root Beer and Bodie. That's great. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. By the way, he's a huge fan of the film Tombstone. Are, are you going to do this tonight? Uh, Can I read the question? Oh, yeah. You read the questions, please. You are on one. (laughs) I'm not on anything. I'm just trying to help. I find myself making a snap judgment of someone's character if they they state a dislike for the film. (laughs) Mm. I think we all I think we all know uh, what he's insinuating mm-hmm, here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, keep up the great work, all the best, Bernie in Denver, Colorado, who has bad taste in movies. Bernie, Bernie is once again finding himself making a snap judgment <laughs> of someone who dislikes the film Tombstone. Uh, Bernie, uh, the Smuggler's Route. So here's here's the problem. So he's. So you say this, the smuggler's route would be keeping with the vintage spec ethos because the Fender company did that in 1968 or so. But um, you got to remember, for me anyway, see, there was a guy named Leo. His last name was Fender, right? He started this guitar company. He sold it in 1964. Anything they did after that, I'm really not that interested in. (laughs) Honestly, it was owned by CBS, right? Right. You know, that creepy right. that creepy eye that I used to watch on mm-hmm. my black and white TV when I was a child. How old are you? I'm old. Uh, I'm not that old. Come on. Uh, I'm in my 40s, okay? <laughs> Anyhow, CBS bought that company. <laughs> Leo Fender would never have used the smuggler's route because... Leo f- was using better quality ash. The The problem, the reason that they went to the smuggler's cavity is because they were using such waterlogged, waterlogged, crappy furniture-grade wood that uh, the guitars were weighing, you know, 12 and 13 pounds. Whoa. Like, what are we going to do to lighten these up? Well, let's just route a giant hole under the pickguard. Well, that's all fine and good as far as the being vintage 60s Fender spec, but to me, that's, this is, you know, boneheads doing bonehead things. So, it's not what I would do. I use the lightest, nicest grade of ash I can, and then that tiny little, that tiny little route that's smaller, you know, like the size of a popsicle stick, goes from the neck pickup cavity to the uh, control cavity. I I use the I I do that route. Okay. I'm not going to do a smuggler's route. The smuggler's route for those of you who don't know. Melissa might not, now I, Melissa knows. I know about the smuggler's route. For those of you who don't know, there is a there's an elusive mid 60s, you know, late 60s, 68 or so 
Telecaster, where if you take off the pit guard, you will see basically almost the entire shape of the pit guard has been routed away under there. It and it was the basically the precursor to the thin line. The whole reason why they came out with the thin line was to to you you know to lighten up the tellies. So I don't know how many they made, but there's there is such thing as what they call a smuggler's route Telecaster, where when you take off the pit guard, there's a, just a giant route. It's like it's huge. It's mm-hmm. a huge route, and the joke is, you know, you could put your put your weed in there. It's the smuggler's route. The sm- mm-hmm. You're a smuggler. You're smuggling things around, and you're t- anyway. I would never do that because yeah. you'd never put your weed in there, would you? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Bernie. Hi, Eric. I have a few more questions. Your sh- uh, I have a few more questions. Your show that I don't think have been covered yet. Uh, what's the deal with Gibson Tunomatics? Is the ABR one better than the Nashville? How about the material itself? Is it worth upgrading the zinc Nashville bridge to a steel one? And and does the stop bar make a difference too? I have a faded SG with a chrome tunematic that I want to change to an aged nickel. Do you have a preference on tunematic bridge brand? I am still dropping hints to my wife that a blackguard strap would go nicely with my pinup custom. All right. Best, John. Right on. Thanks, John. So he says, what's the deal with Gibson tunematics? Is the ABR one better than the Nashville? Well, it's all um, personal preference. One's not necessarily better than the other. The Nashville has a farther travel, so you can get, you know, uh, the the saddles move farther. So if you have intonation problems, you can you can address those. Uh, but um, the Nashville is a little bit more. Um, I don't know how can I say it. It's a little tighter, like all the parts fit together nicer, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that is a good thing. Anytime, a, anytime that a part is loose, especially like a nut or a saddle, anytime that you've got more moving parts and that part can wiggle, right? So like without your strings on, grab your tunematic saddle and wiggle it and see how far it moves back and forth. And then think about this, when the string is tight, and it's across the saddle. As it's vibrating, part of those vibrations are getting sucked up by... Oh, Melissa's phone's gone. Someone's calling us in the middle of a podcast. My God. It's my alarm. Why do you have an alarm set for (laughs) 9 o'clock at night? It's 10. It's because my yogurt is done incubating. Your yogurt? (laughs) Her yogurt's done incubating. Here at the homestead. Oh my Sorry. God! What were we, what were we talking about? That was insane. Uh, <laughs> so the string energy, when it vibrates, if it's vibrating on a loose saddle, that saddle is able to wiggle, right? And so some of the string energy is getting sucked into that saddle movement instead of being, you know, deflected into other good things like sustain and tone, right? Mm-hmm. So um, the tighter the parts are, the better. So I like. Tunematics that have nice, tight-fitting parts, right? Um, I used to use a Goto brand 
two pneumatics, Nashville's and ABR1's, and they, it seems like their fit has gotten sloppy. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's the one I got. I don't. Maybe it's the few that I got. Um, my favorite lately is you know it's a little more expensive, but the Tone Pros stuff seems like it just fits better, fits together better. Um, so you know it's hard to go wrong with Schaller. They make great parts. They're a little more expensive, of course, but uh, he also says, is is the uh, is it worth upgrading a zinc Nashville bridge to a steel one? Yeah, probably. You know, you know, milled steel. That's going to be a that's going to be a better that's going to be a better option. He says, does the stop bar does the stop bar make a difference too? Well, not as much as the bridge, in my opinion. Okay. I mean, it the stop bar doesn't really have any moving parts, so it's it doesn't really make as much of a difference. So, anyhow, I hope that answers that. Thank you, John. <clears throat> Howdy, Eric and Melissa. I love the show, and I am once again asking for some expert advice, this time from Melissa. Ooh. I own several acoustic guitars, and on some of them, I've had aftermarket pickups installed. One relatively minor downside to these pickups is that the output jack now doubles as the end pin strap button and requires a larger opening on my straps. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. My favorite straps are made of suede and leather, and I find myself wrestling with the straps just to attach it to my guitar, which oftentimes proves unsuccessful. I have resorted to using cheap, unattractive straps that I've taken a pair of scissors to the openings just to make them fit. It's a mangled mess, and it is just not an ideal situation for me. I know there are gadgets out there that can be attached to the strap button on one end and my strap on the other, which may fit, but they don't work well either for me. I'm hoping you may have some advice to enlarge the holes on my suede and leather straps so they fit easily, neatly, and most importantly, securely on my new strap buttons and don't look like a dog chewed through them. If this isn't the way to go, do you have any other advice on how I can use my favorite straps with my favorite acoustic guitars? Thanks in advance, Melissa, and thanks to Eric for answering my question a couple episodes ago. FYI, I was able to find a new pick guard for my Cortez Stratocaster that fits, oh, yeah. so I have new pickups and hardware on order for the pickup replacement tech to me. Very good. Best regards to you both. That's from Vic G in San Bruno, California. Right on, Vic. Vic, if you have a Harbor Freight in your area, go down there. They sell... A set of drive punches. Hole punches? Hole punches mm-hmm. uh, for $9. They're cheap and easy. They come in a variety of sizes up to a half an inch. Go buy those and take them home. Get out a kitchen cutting board and a hammer. Mm-hmm. And the only problem you might have with that is that because there is a hole and then a slit, when you try and punch that hole larger, the slit is going to just want to open. So you might get an oblong shake shape with that so if you don't want to go that route you can also get if you have a chisel or even a flathead screwdriver use that to to lengthen the slit so he is going to buy a set of hole punches and enlarge the round part of the hole of of the strap to fit on the larger strap button yep and if he doesn't want to do that you can lengthen the slit which which will do the same job Mm mm-hmm It'll be it'll enable you to get that strap o- over the button. Mm. I feel like that's going to be hard to do 
uh, cleanly, and it also might be detrimental in the long run. To punch a hole or to lengthen to the... To lengthen the slit. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what kind of leather you use. And if you're using cheap leather, it might rip out. Yeah. But so if you're gonna if you're gonna go the hole punch route, uh, maybe do it incrementally. Yeah. Maybe not, you know. Um. Yeah. To figure out which hole size is going to be right for the strap button. Well, but again, the problem with that is going to be that the slit makes that hole want to just jump out when you pound the. Oh yeah. He's, okay, I see. See, this is why we have the professional leather worker co-hosting <laughs> the Fret Files podcast. Yeah. The commercial-free one hundredth yeah episode edition the special episode, bringing you all the the news from the leather world. Um. So I what I would do is I would go. Uh, I punch my strap button holes at. Uh, I think, let me think about this. I think five sixteenths. Hmm. Interesting. And, Which is pretty large. And that's included in the Harbor Freight uh, hole punch set? Yes. For $9. And that, honestly, that's what I use. I don't buy fancy drive punches. I just buy Harbor Freight. That's pretty Freight. cool. I mean, you can get them from Harbor Freight. I get all my hole punches right from Sky Mall. <laughs> I feel like they're, uh, I feel like they're. What are you drinking tonight? <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> so, Vic, <laughs> Vic, my advice is go buy some hole punches and punch your hole larger. That's what she said. Or, whoa, <laughs> or, or cut the slit longer. Yeah, and cutting the slit longer might be detrimental to the leather if it is a cheap leather. If it's a suede, probably not. It stretches. I don't see it ripping out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't. I just don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there you go. Thanks, Vic. Thanks, Vic. Hello, Dog Clan. Long time, first time. Do you have any tips for or tricks to angle the bottom side of a nut blank. I'm talking about the approximately 15 degree angle on the bottom side of the nut, like you would see on a Martin. Mm-hmm. The guitar in question is a 60s Hop Telstar standard electric, but the angle is the same as the Martin nuts. Oh, interesting. Do you just go to town on the belt sander? Use some sort of sanding jig, or do you say screw it and buy the Stumac pre-angled blanks? Hmm. Thanks, and best wishes from Minnesota. That's from Casey. Thanks, Casey. Well, I've done all the above. I mean, um, you know, for the past many years, I just order the pre-made ones. They're so cheap and plentiful, and they're, I mean... It's hard to go wrong, but I don't get them. I don't get the Stumac ones. I get mine. I get nut blanks mostly from uh, All Parts. All Parts has a really good selection of all kinds of pre-made nut blanks. Um, but it's not hard if uh, if all you have is a is a blank or a you know a rectangular blank, and you need to make that angle. It's not too hard. You just you know mark, figure out with a pencil, mark the angle, mark where you need it to be, and. And uh, you can kind of just eyeball it and get get real close if you're careful. I mean, it's not too hard. So, uh, but again, the pre-made ones are just just as inexpensive as the blanks. So, thanks, Casey. Eric, on the last episode, you talked about reverse headstocks and mentioned Nuno Bentoncourt. Oh, wow, people do listen. <laughs> 
I know you are not into shredder guitars, but would you ever consider interviewing the elusive Stephen Davies, former owner owner of Stephen's Stringed Instruments? Well, it's not whether I would consider it, it's whether he would consider it, and that answer is probably no. Did you ever have any interactions with him while you lived in Seattle? No. I own an N4 Nuno signature model that was built at the South Lake Union shop. The quality and craftsmanship is top notch. Yeah, those were well made, man. The shop and company are long gone, but Mr. Davies' influence is profound considering the N4 is still in production 30 years later. Mm-hmm. Last question. The N4 body has a tongue oil finish. Do you have any advice on how to care for it, or can you point me in the right direction? Thanks to you and Mel for making this wonderful podcast. That's from Bruce in Seattle. Thanks, Bruce. Yeah, Stephen Davies, man. You know, Stephen's stringed instruments... Uh, was a shop that he started after working in guitar stores with my former boss. Oh, really? Jay Boone in Seattle. I didn't know that. Of Emerald City Guitars. Yeah, Jay Boone used to work with with Stephen Davies. So, yeah, Stephen's Stringed Instruments. I never did meet him, um, but I've heard a lot of stories. Anyhow, yeah, great quality stuff. Uh, How do you care for a tongue oil finish? Um, tongue oil is a, is is a little bit of a different finish. It doesn't. It's not a barrier finish like a, like lacquer or shellac is. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, you know, seal on the top like quite like lacquer or shellac. It's a little bit different, but um, I would care for it the same. Just you know, clean it with uh, just a little bit of liquid polish every now and then, and leave it alone. I mean, it, if the finish gets thin then you might want to consider, you know, applying more tongue oil. But I really, you know, I really would not recommend it. I mean, I just leave it how it is, is what I would say. I mean, you know, yeah, just like any other finish. Just clean it with some light polish and uh, leave it alone aside from that. Thanks, Bruce. Hello, Eric and Melissa. I've got this 59 Harmony Meteor H71, mostly because I'm a Kinks fan, and Dave Davies played this model on some of that first album. Cool story, I know. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I love the Kinks. Yeah, me too. Anyway, the issue is the inlays are starting to protrude up from the fretboard, or maybe the rosewood is shrinking down around them. It's mainly happening on the high E side, not so much the bass side, and really only to the first four of them. I tried to get a decent close-up pick. I'm guessing I'd have to do some sanding here, but is there a way to deal with these without without possibly changing the look of the neck? If I do have to sand them level, what grits should I start and end with? Anything to watch out for while I'm sanding? Sorry, this is if this has been already been asked, I'm a long-time listener, but your episode list is getting so vast now, I don't remember yeah. it, if it has at this point. Huge fan, and thanks, you two. That's from Sean. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, he sent me a, a nice picture there so um yeah that what's happening it's these old these old nitrate plastics that shrink over time so it's shrinking and curling at the same time so Mm. uh what you want to do is see if it's still flexible sometimes those get brittle as well if it's still flexible and you're able to just push it down then what you would want to do would be just to glue it back down i mean that's all 
um, if it's if it has become brittle uh, and you try to push it down, it might crack. So you may be able to heat it up and and uh, get it to be more pliable. And, and if that's the case, then you'd heat it up a little bit, you glue it back down. You, if you uh, had a radiused call, that would be the best, so that you could glue it with even pressure across the radius of the fingerboard. Um, probably super glue is what what I would reach for here. And, uh, you know, at the end of the, once you get it glued down and kind of secured, you can try to fill the gaps a little bit and uh, sand or scrape it all smooth, but you should really, you should be able to get it glued down pretty flush, I, I would think. It's a thing I've seen a lot of times, and I, I know we've talked about it before in the podcast, so um, it, it can be done. It can be glued back down. Thank you. Thanks, Sean. <clears throat> hey, Eric and Melissa, thanks for answering my question about the all rosewood telly neck last episode. Mm-hmm. As a follow-up, there is no decal on the headstock. Oh, the logo well. is laser etched where the decal would normally be placed. Oh, of course, just like Leo would have wanted. <laughs> Jeez. Anyway, I did some research and found that there is a thin finish on the neck. It must be really thin because I can't even tell that it is there. To my question, I have been catching up on episodes, and in a recent one I listened to, you mentioned that you were not into dad blues (laughs) and named a few older players you enjoyed. Are there any modern artists, blues or otherwise, that you enjoy listening to? Thanks. That's from Corey. Corey, thanks. Thank you. Uh, First of all, dad blues is something Melissa says. (laughs) That's not something I say, okay? See, I like blues. I've always liked blues when I was a kid. I mean, a kid. I'm talking, I mean, maybe 14 years old. I went and bought the Robert Johnson box set, and it just blew my mind. I mean, I like blues, right? Uh, but Melissa calls it dad blues. Cause when I met her, I was playing in several blues bands, and she just thought it was the worst no, music just, ever. She would go come to our gigs. I do and not just think be... that Robert Johnson is dad blues. Oh, that's good. I don't think that Muddy Waters is dad it's blues. It's just the bands I play in. Albert King or BB King or any of the it's it's just the bands you play. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, right. It's <laughs> it's modern white dudes. Yeah. Trying to be I know, it doesn't have the black same black dudes from the 30s. Well, not even the 30s. So, to me, when I say I like blues, I mean, we're talking about a, a, a time span of from the 30s to the, especially the 50s. Yeah. And some 60s and 70s yep. blues. Yep. And, you know, it's like a, it's like a bell curve. Mm-hmm. The majority of it is like, you know. 40s, 50s, 60s. I love Muddy Waters, Slim Harpo, Jimmy Reed, Albert King, B.B. King. I mean, you know, the original blues guys, the old stuff, like Sunhouse and Charlie Patton and Robert Johnson. I love all of that stuff, too. I mean, it's great. That's what I like. 
you tell somebody that you play blues now, I mean, if just casually in conversation at a party, standing around in the kitchen, somebody says, what kind of music do you play? Oh, I play blues. Well, they immediately think Mm -hmm. that you're lame. Yep. (laughs) Sorry. Yes, that's true. Yes. They immediately think that you're in one of these dad blues bands. Hey, you know it's 2020 now, right? Because it's 2020 and... Look, it's just a bygone era. I, You know, I'm not going to lament it. It's just that, I mean, he, he, he even says in his question here, he says, you named a few older players you enjoyed. Well, they weren't older when they made the music, okay? <laughs> I mean, blues is a young person's music. It's just that it was a young person's music in the 30s, in, in the 50s. It's just that uh, nobody cares now. Right. That's the problem. And so you have guys that still do care, like me, you know, playing dad blues. That's the problem, right? <laughs> In your defense, you are a dad. I, I fully so embrace any, the any fact blues that I am. you play is going to be dad blues. So he asks, are there any modern artists, blues or otherwise, that you enjoy listening to? Man, I listen to all kinds of modern music. I uh, can't really think of any... <laughs> Off the top of my Eric head, literally never listens to modern music. Uh, I do and when not you're often. when you're in the car. Yeah. Um, there's that Panic at the Disco <laughs> guy. He's great. <laughs> now my kids like that. My kids, <laughs> my kids want to hear that. Uh, I don't know, man. What do I enjoy listening to? Well, I just told you what I enjoy listening to. That's what I like, and I and I like I listen to a lot of fifties, sixties, seventies rock and pop music you know blues and old rock Mm -hmm. sorry Mm -hmm. i'm an old dad (laughs) that's just me right but when i think when when you say dad blues to me it's like you know that's there is joe joe bonamassa yeah and i mean i don't even think he's a dad but it's just the modern it's just not i mean it's just not the same the bad to the bone guy what's his george thoroughgood yeah it's just he's this, definitely mainstream dad right. blues. It's just this fanny pack pedestrian. Yep. You know who's not dad blues? Blues music. That's Who? more of a mo- well. I don't even know if I'd call them. Mo- they're still playing ZZ Top. Oh, they're great. Well, but they're a rock band. Nah, Look, they're a blues band. The, to to someone who listens to rock, they maybe they're a blues band. <laughs> but if you listen to blues, and I love ZZ Top. They're not a blues band. They are they are a rock band. All okay? right. All right. Now, Jimmy Vaughn goes, you know, he played in the Fabulous Thunderbirds, which and you would think that would make him a rock player. He's a blues player, and he's a modern blues player who is an authentic blues player. He's not the lame dad blues. So you think. He's super cool. He's the king of cool. Jimmy Vaughn is the greatest. He's my... Probably my favorite living guitar player. You got to hang out with him for like a couple hours once. Dude, it was great. We talked about Buddy Holly and, you know, I was standing there talking to him and we were, I was like sitting in my high, you know, stool Mm -hmm. working on his guitar while he's standing next to me at the bench. And at some point we kind of accidentally bumped feet and I looked down we were wearing the same boots. <laughs> I thought, how cool is this day? 
right? I get just surprised. I get to hang out with Jimmy Vaughn. I didn't know he was coming. He just came to the shop and wanted me to work on his guitar. And then we just sat and talked about music and guitar strings and about his brother. And I mean, it was the greatest thing ever, man. That was a good day. Anyhow, thanks, Corey. <laughs> Hello, Eric and Melissa. I have an early aughts Made in Mexico 72 Tele custom reissue. The body had a cheap, hard plastic finish, which, after sustaining some battle damage during my punk rock days, started to come off in large, sharp chunks. So I pulled the rest of the coating off using a heat gun to warm the finish and peel it off. So now I have an unfinished Tele body that I've been wanting to use for a project guitar. I don't have any place to build a proper spray booth, so I'm planning on finishing it outdoors with some Stumac spray finish. Do you have any tips for about outdoor finishing? Also, this body has been sitting unfinished for about a year and a half, as I wasn't able to get it done during the sort of window, sort during the window of pleasant weather this year, last year. Mm-hmm. Words are hard. <laughs> Uh, is there anything special I should do to prep it before pore filling and sealing? Thanks so much. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy the podcast. Much love. Chris from Long Branch, New Jersey. Thanks, Chris. Um, yeah, I would definitely seal it before pore filling. That's what I, you know, that's what I typically do. Um, the pore filler, it tends to stick better to a, uh, to the sealer than it does to just raw wood. Uh, so that's what I would do. Uh, as far as any tips about outdoor finishing, I don't think I've ever done that. So I don't, I mean, make sure it's not raining. I don't know. Uh, a nice, sunny, calm day, I suppose. Wear a respirator. Even Oh, yeah. I mean, you're going to do this anyway, right? You knew this anyway, Chris. But even being outdoors, um, that's not enough ventilation to be in close proximity with a a rattle can of nitrocellulose lacquer. That stuff is toxic. Dude, it's pure poison. So get yourself a super amazing um, BA. Or or just a normal respirator. Respirator. Any sort of respirator would be good. Well, I just say that because I don't want people to think I mean a face mask. Yeah, a respirator that has two filters that you take big, off and big, replace. Big replaceable canisters that, that clips on the filter back of your out neck. Or, organic volatile compounds. Okay. A respirator. A respirator. Yes. So uh, make sure you wear a respirator and uh, yeah. Finishing it outdoors, I don't know. I don't have any special tips about that. Just have fun. Have don't do time. it on a windy day. Don't do it. Don't do it on a windy day, or you know, any other kind of inclement weather. <laughs> it it must be exactly seventy two degrees. People talk about inclement weather like we have clement weather. <laughs> like, is that a thing? <laughs> Nobody ever says, the, "Man, what a clement day." <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> I guess the f- I guess the fact that we're all going to die from a... <laughs> Don't ever say that again. <laughs> okay. It's business as usual here at the yep. Daw Farms. Yep. 
Alrighty, that does it for this episode of the 100th Fret File Podcast. Fret Files Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for participating in the show. We do appreciate it. If you want to participate, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and submit your comment or question there. I'll use it as part of the show, and the other way to do it is to call 757-774-8482. Call 757-774-8482 and leave your voicemail there. Use that as part of the show. Thanks so much, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Good night. <laughs>